Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg podcast. I'm joined with Hooks Orpic, Jim Rixner himself. And Jim, it's it's been a pretty hectic couple of days, as it always is, every July 1st around the NHL with the NHL draft now in the rearview mirror and free agent frenzy is still upon us. And of course, the Penguins uh, have remained active, this free agent frenzy, not making super big splashes, but they have kept their name in the headlines of all of hockey media. Uh, so Jim, let's dive right into it. Phil Kessel has officially been traded to the Arizona Coyotes. And this is a move that, you know, we, you and I have been going back and forth on for a long time, as I'm sure everyone else has. Uh, will he or won't he? Will Rutherford pull the trigger? Will he trade Kessel? Will he keep Kessel and, you know, keep building around the core of Kessel, Crosby, and Malkin? And it turns out he did, in fact, ship Kessel to Rick Tockett and the Coyotes for a return of Alex Galchenyuk, Pierre Oliver-Joseph, and I believe it was, I believe there was a draft pick involved too, a sixth round pick, I want to say. Uh, but Jim, either way, looking at the meat and potatoes of this deal, Phil Kessel was shipped to Arizona. Primarily, the, the big piece of this pie is Alex Galchenyuk, former Montreal Canadian, and Pierre Oliver-Joseph, who is a pretty highly touted defensive prospect taken 23rd overall by the Coyotes in the 2017 NHL draft. So Jim, let's get your um, immediate reactions to when this trade was announced and what you think the Penguins are going to look like moving forward as we start to look forward to the 2019-2020 season. Really, for me, it seems like it's been a cat and mouse game kind of between Phil Kessel and Penguins management or Penguins coaching where where he kind of, with his no trade clause, had a lot of power on what the situation was. And it definitely seemed like Arizona was the only place he wanted to go. So in that vein, I think the Penguins did pretty well to get a, a good defensive prospect who could help out in a few years. And it means a lot because the Penguins don't have anything when it comes to a left-handed defenseman prospect who has like a real NHL future. So that's good. And then immediately, of course, the main thing is Alex Galchenyuk, a skilled player, former high draft pick. He's only 25 years old. He's played a few seasons in, in Montreal. He scored 30 goals one year. So they got something back at least for the value of Kessel. And I think that that's important because the gun was, was to Rutherford's head so to speak, everyone knew that, you know, Arizona was pretty much the only place where he was going to be able to ship them. So you're not going to get a great return. And then I know on the Internet, it's kind of been wondered, well, why do you need to trade Phil? Why can't you work something out? Why can't the relationship be saved or better? But at the end of the day, I think we've all seen it coming that, you know, for better or worse, that unfortunately it looked like that this this marriage, if you want to call it that, between Phil Kessel and the Penguins was going to come to an end sooner or later. And uh, enough people had felt that, you know, it was sour, it was time to move on. And, and that's what happened. So at the end of the day, you know, when when you have a player that may or may not want to be here, may or may not be happy, well, he definitely didn't seem happy towards the end. And then, you know, the Penguins are a team that's trying to win, trying to compete. So they had to do the best they can, and I guess they did. So now we're just going to have to see how it all clicks. And you started to bring it up there towards the end of the point you were making. And I believe you you yourself even posted on Pensburg, looking at some of the more immediate reaction when the trade was announced. It It seems like, I don't know if underwhelming is the correct term, because like you said, this seems like the only destination that Kessel was going to go to after he nixed the trade. 
to Minnesota. So getting anything, uh, especially looking at the value of Galchenyuk and the prospect that they got, I, I guess from a Penguins perspective, you're satisfied with that. I know looking back uh, in some of your posts, some of your posts regarding the trade and just looking around the internet, comparing a guy like Galchenyuk who produces at, I would say, well, obviously he produces at a lesser level than Phil Kessel does even on his worst days. And that's something that intrigued me when I started to read more and more about the player Galchenyuk is and was during his time in Montreal and Arizona um, I, you know, I think we all knew going forward after the trade that, you know, I, I don't think Galchenyuk is going to replace the production that Phil Kessel had here in Pittsburgh. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts also on, you know, Galchenyuk is, I believe he was a half a point per game player or, or somewhere around that mark, if I'm not mistaken. Feel free to correct me if you know, if you remember from the research that you saw. Uh, Galchenyuk has a scoring touch, but he's not an elite offensive threat like Kessel was still a still a player with a a lot of pedigree don't get me wrong I just feel like what the Penguins gave away in Kessel is just not up to snuff as like what the reputation that Kessel had as that elite offensive threat who could score with his devastating wrist shot I I just don't think Gauchenyuk is that kind of player who's going to come in and replicate that and to that point just to finish off this are the Penguins a worse team looking forward now with Gauchenyuk in this prospect? Are they a worse team without Kessel now moving forward? A lot of arguments say that they are because obviously you can't replace a point-per-game player like Kessel was in last year's season. And obviously in prior seasons before last year, he I mean, he, he was just an offensive juggernaut. And I'm just not so sure that Gauchenyuk comes in here and he's presumably going to slot alongside Evgeny Malkin on the wing, even if he gets that that Malkin bump in production, which has since been almost discredited because uh, of other uh, of other. I think Adam Gretz also put out a piece looking at that, looking at that Malkin bump or that Crosby bump of increased offensive production when a new player comes to Pittsburgh and everyone thinks this dude is going to score 30, 40, 50 goals next to these generational towns and. Even when Kessel was traded from Toronto a couple of years ago to here, everyone thought that he would slot alongside Crosby and pot 40, 50 goals, and that obviously never happened. So, Jim, I'm curious to see. I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts as well on the 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 projected offensive output of a guy like Galchenyuk, because presumably that's who we are going to be watching as Penguin fans come opening night, because he has such big shoes to fill, replacing a guy like Kessel. No doubt about that. Uh, you look at it, Galchenyuk, like I said, he, he's young in the in the point that he's only 25 years old, but he has played almost 500 NHL games, and he's been pretty consistent. He's going to score about 20 goals every season, and he's going to score about 25 to 30 assists. So I, I think that that would be the baseline of what to expect going forward because, yeah, you're right, like Gretz wrote, the players don't really change or improve that much. A lot of people think, you know, you, you'll come to the Penguins and you'll get some huge scoring boost. But the people are who they are. And Galchenyuk, 55 points, like that doesn't sound good, but he's probably not going to be playing the first power play unit. So, you know, his his opportunities to score aren't going to be really all that that much probably. Like I do think, like you said, he'll be on the Malkin line, and that usually means heavy offenses and starts. They'll put him in a role to to succeed. But 
Alexey Alchenyuk, going back over his career, Montreal traded him because he wasn't he wasn't really living up to that third overall pick. You know, I think a lot of people expected like a transcendent type of of forward who was really going to make an impact and and really they had in mind he would be a center and he's not a center at the NHL level even though he can play it so that's kind of hurt him and yeah to your point that it's going to be a talent step back from Phil Kessel and that hurts and that hurts for the Penguins as a win now team to lose a talent like Kessel because his playmaking his vision the things he could do on the power play that really helped, and the power play ran through Phil. He was important, and a lot of people I know are sour on the shorthanded goals they gave up. But, I mean, the Penguins always had a top-five power play pretty much while Phil was in Pittsburgh, which counts for something. But if you go back and look at it, Arizona just didn't really have a lot to give to the Pens for Kessel. If you look at their organization now, they have Nick Schmaltz, a young guy who they like a lot, but he's a center. They're not giving him up. They're not giving up Clayton Keller, who's probably the best player on their team. And then other than that, you look up and down their list, they don't have that much that really would interest you as a Penguins fan to say, okay, we can replace Phil Kessel with someone who can do what he can. Like, There's just not that many guys who can do that. And so um, I, to that end, like I was saying, I think Alchenyuk is probably the best they could have asked for, the best they could have hoped for in the situation where Phil with that new trade clause was going to block going to a place like Minnesota, for instance, or anywhere else. He wasn't going to accept it. So they had to work around that and do the best they could to move him since they felt like, obviously, that staying with the Pens was no longer going to work and they wanted to mix things up, which obviously meant a lot to the Penguins to try to start anew. So that's the direction they're off to. I, I think it will be some short-term pain. Hopefully the kicker could be this um, the prospect, Joseph, but you never know because this kind of reminds me of the Ryan Whitney, Chris Kunitz trade where everybody thought Tan Grady would be the key and, and the reason the Penguins won that trade. And as it turned out, Tan Grady didn't really do much at the NHL level. So you never know when it comes to prospects. It could It could be great. This guy could be around for the next 10 years and be awesome. Or he could just kind of fizzle away and you never hear much from him. So I'd say keep that in mind. But for now, I guess the Penguins are just going to have to do the best they can with what they've got. And to your point, let, let's let's shift the conversation to that prospect, Pierre Oliver Joseph. You know, I, I'm looking at uh, elite, uh, EliteProspects.com, and I'm just looking at a quick overview of, of P.O. Joseph. And there's one quote at the bottom of his page. And it, go, it it says, quote, he makes quick decisions with the puck and excels in the transition game. And that right there, that brings a, a little bit of a sense of comfort looking at the kind of de- uh, defenseman that they traded for in this package. That's a positive, at least for me. Like you said, there are so many variables at play with this prospect, as there are with any prospect. Um, does he fizzle out or does he become, you know, a solid mainstay in this decor for the next 10 years? That remains to be seen. But looking at the way the game is changing and, you know, looking at the philosophies that the Penguins have have uh, instilled in their team over the last se- several years, having a, having a defensive prospect, which they don't have many of, that is apparently quick with the decision making and excelling in the transition game. Those are two pluses for me. That, those are incre- two incredibly bright spots for me when I look at this prospect. Um, you know, looking at where he was scouted uh, before he was drafted, uh, looking at the 2017 entry draft, he was ranked number th- the number 34 prospect by ISS Hockey. 
He was ranked as the number 33 prospect by HockeyProspect.com. He was also ranked number 33 by TSN and Bob McKenzie. He was also, or he was ranked number 27 by NHL Central Scouting. So based on where he was drafted, 23 overall, uh, 23rd overall by the uh, Arizona Coyotes, it looks like he's right in line with projections. And if, you know, you can't put so much stock into this little blurb about making quick decisions and excelling in the transition game. You know, he has yet to play uh, in the AHL. Presumably he will make that jump sometime this year, I would believe. Uh, but Jim, with that said, it looks like P.O. Joseph isn't some sort of throwaway prospect in this trade. If 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 everything uh, on elite prospects is to be believed, if his scouting grades are to be believed, you know, the, 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 there may be some hope yet that this guy comes in and two or three years from now, he does become an impact player on that blue line as Latang gets older and Dumoulin starts to age, which is which is promising, I think. If you look at his build, too, he's listed most places as 6'2", 6'3", and only 165 pounds. And that's the major knock on him right now is that he needs to add more weight. He needs to add more strength. But just in his size and his frame, he reminds me a little bit of Dumoulin, like you mentioned, but also especially Marcus Pedersen because he's that left-handed shot. He's a good skater. He's mobile for his size. He can do it in transition. And I don't think that's an accident. I think the Penguins are targeting, you know, look down their left side with Dumoulin with Pedersen, and now with Joseph as a prospect, those guys are all kind of in the same mold. And if it works out like Dumoulin, then then you're thrilled. So that's what I think the Penguins are really shooting for and hoping that that this guy can develop into. But as a word of caution, like you said, he was junior aged. I believe he is going to be HL bound this year because he just turned 20 years old the other day and he's finished four seasons in Quebec. So I think that makes him HL eligible. And I think he is three or four years younger than Pedersen was last year. So just as, as a frame of reference, that Pedersen was only in his rookie season last year in the NHL. So this guy has a long way to go. We know sometimes for defensemen, it can take them a bit to develop. And certainly any 160-pound defenseman probably has 20, 30 pounds of weight to go to just fill out the frame a little bit and develop into that NHL type of size. But it does look promising because, yeah, he, he's a good end-of-the-first-round type of prospect. And those are usually the picks the Penguins are, have been trading away. So that could be valuable a few years down the line if, if he puts it together. All right, we're going to take a very short break here on the Pennsburg podcast. When we return, we will dive into the NHL free agent frenzy, look at the moves the Penguins have made or have yet to make, as well as examine the rest of the Metropolitan Division, as well as the rest of the NHL. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Pennsburg podcast. As we said before the break, uh, we are going to shift focus to NHL free agency, which began on July 1st, and as they have been for the last couple of years, the Penguins were active on the first day of free agency, and um, Jim, it, it looks like the early returns from the Penguins, uh, their free their free agent frenzy, uh, a little bit of a mixed bag in, in terms of their, their, their big name, who they went after, and uh, we are talking about Brandon Tanev, a 27-year-old forward previously played with the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, Jim Tanev was signed to a six-year, $21 million deal by general manager Jim Rutherford. 
And uh, at the t- at the time of signing, I don't know I don't know what to make of this. Tanev is historically a fourth liner, you, you know, uh, a tenacious guy. I wouldn't say a mucker and grinder. I, I think he can drive play. I don't think you know. I, I don't think he's going to be a useless body on the penalty kill most nights. But still, even after we we become more removed from July first. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the the length of the contract and the amount he's making three and a half million per year for the next six years for for primarily a bottom six slash fourth liner. It's it's another questionable move that Jim Rutherford has made on July first. It sure is, and it, it's a head-scratching one. I I don't really know what to make of it either or what to think. I guess we'll see how it turns out. I do know that from doing a little research and looking up this guy, he's played the last three years in the NHL. His first year was 51 games, two goals, two assists, and the Jets fans were talking like he was probably one of the worst players in the whole league, kind of the way we used to talk about Tanner Glass or guys like that. And obviously he's improved, and all the Jets fans that I've read about or who have seen him play a lot has said this guy's gotten a little bit better every year, but he is 27 years old. And that really, I think, other than the Artemi Panarin deal, that was the longest contract handed out to a fourth-line player, maybe a third line on a good day. So I don't get it either. I know they don't really care where the team's going to end up in four, five, six years, but it still seems really bizarre to me. Why is this the guy that you've you've zeroed in on? It It doesn't look like he's really anything special or, or going to do anything that like a Zach Aston Reese type might can bring to the table or, you know, he kind of looks like a Carl Hagelin, but he doesn't tip possession like Hagelin does and he doesn't score a lot. So yeah, this, this Tanev deal, the money is high, the years are high and you're left kind of wondering what they see in this guy or what they think they're going to get from him. I'm looking on hockeyreference.com at uh, Tanev's um, both basic 5v5 stats and possession metrics. And each year he's been in the league, he has risen in both Corsi 4 percentage and Fenwick 4 percentage. He's also increased his point total each year he's been in the league with last year registering 14 goals and 15 assists in 80 games played. But still, I'm... I'm a little dumbfounded. Again, six-year deal for 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 a guy who is almost guaranteed to slot in that bottom six on the fourth line. I'm also a little frustrated. And we've beaten this horse so many times on this podcast, as 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 I'm sure many other people in the Penguins community has the bottom pairing defense, presumably made up of Jack Johnson. And Eric Goodbranson accounts for $7.25 million of cap space. And the Penguins, as of yesterday, have about a million and a half, uh, $1.5 million remaining in cap space, if I'm uh, recalling correctly. It's, 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 I'm just continuously going through my head and thinking about what if scenarios, if, Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbranson didn't account for $7.25 million of the salary cap. And I know we are in early July and presumably Jim Rutherford is going to make at least one more deal to probably shed some more salary. But again, 
looking back last year at the Jack Johnson, the Jack Johnson signing, uh, a, a massive head scratcher at the time, and nothing. We look back at we look back at it one year later, and everything that we thought the Jack Johnson signing was going to be, how horrendous it was going to turn out, at least through the first year of his contract, has turned out exactly as everyone who had did a, who had done a little bit of research into the player Jack Johnson was looking at his regular metrics, looking at his possession stats. Everyone who knows the the kind of player Jack Johnson is and has been was exactly that kind of player he was in his first year for Pittsburgh. And the trade that they made for Eric Branson at the trade deadline, yeah, he had a pretty a pretty positive small sample in his short stint with Pittsburgh towards the end of the regular season. I'm still not convinced, however, that Eric Branson is going to morph into a guy who you can plug into your top four with consistency and reliability and be comfortable with. He's making $4 million. Jack Johnson's making 3.5. I'm still, I'm just frustrated because you look at the other teams, especially in the Metropolitan Division, and we'll get to the, we'll get to the, the Penguins divisional foes momentarily. But looking at what 7.25, those two contracts, if they were to shed those two contracts and maybe shed Brian Rust, if they, if they were to trade Brian Rust somewhere because they do have a log jam on the wing at this point, or even Patrick Hornquist for that matter. But if they shed any of those bad contracts, I mean, the possibilities, the the, the, the possibilities were endless at the the kind of the, the kind of players that the Penguins could have pulled in. I mean, even going out on an extreme limb, they could have offersheeted somebody, but we won't know because all of this money is tied up to bad players in bad contracts. And if they were to shed that salary, we would have to put faith in Jim Rutherford to go out and actually sign a productive player who doesn't have terrible regular statistics or terrible regular possession stats as well. I, Jim, I, I'm going to let you take over and, and and put your two cents in, but it's what could have been as we look forward to the 2019-2020 campaign. I'm really not that confident because not a lot of things have changed with this team, maybe besides the old Imata trade, but I I'm just not confident at the current point where this team stands to contend. It's certainly odd because they, they are going to have to make another trade courtesy of this Tanev signing. And a lot of, of people, the media point to is either Nick Bugstad or Brian Rust. And it almost becomes like, whoa, wait, you're going to trade Brian Rust who makes $3.5 million, a guy who we know can play with Sidney Crosby. We know who we've seen him score big playoff goals. We've seen him score a lot of goals in general, and you're going to sign him away because, or trade him away because you just signed Chris Tanov, a player who's kind of similar but unknown if if he's going to mesh as well with the team. So, if that happens, we don't know if it will, but if that comes to pass, it's just kind of like what are they doing rearranging these chairs? It makes really no sense. So we'll have to see if it if it does happen. But yeah, a, a result of why they have to move out a forward is because of those defensive signings they made or the trades to acquire. Like, Eric Branson's making pretty much the same money as Brian Dumoulin right now, which is, is criminal. It's That's insane, but that's the way it is because it's, it seems very tough for NHL general managers to evaluate and put a value and put money on defensemen. Sometimes they do really well. Sometimes they're way off the mark, and 
the Penguins have kind of gone out of their way to collect salaries of those guys who aren't going to help tremendously on the ice. You have to put them in favorable spots, limited minutes, competition. That'll that'll work out. So that that is trouble. And it also looks up front like, what are they doing? They've acquired Galchenyuk, who's not a reclamation project, but he's a guy whose career hasn't really panned out the way people thought now on his third team. They traded for the Dominic Cahoon player who looks good, but he scored 13 goals last year. I mean, I don't think he's anything special. Point being, they have a lot of quantity of forwards, but outside of your Crosby, your Malkin, your Gensel, you don't really have a lot of quality of the forwards. You have some guys who look nice like Jared McCann or like, you know, Hornquist if he's healthy, some some supporting pieces. But overall, you just wonder, they're just stockpiling all these players whether it's forwards or defensemen, just either mid-level players or kind of guys that are hoping for more. And it's it's hard to see what the strategy is. Like, I know, obviously, they want players that are going to play hard now, and they're trying to get a mix, you can tell, of, of, of new enthusiasm and fresh blood to kind of kick the core into gear and see what will happen. But it, it does feel like you wonder what direction or what focus this management team is working to when, when they make some of the moves that they had over the past 12 months because, yeah, they squandered a lot of, of salary space that they could have used on different guys or gone in any number of different avenues, and who knows how it would have turned out, but we'll never really know because we're stuck with Jack Johnson and Eric Branson and guys like that for a while. I don't know if, if saying it's a shame. I, I don't know if that's being too extreme or too dramatic, but to your point i mean looking at their depth chart you know down the middle it, it's acceptable it's actually i mean you have crosby malkin presumably if nick bukestad stays he centers that third line and you have uh, you have teddy bluger probably filling out the fourth line role if jim rutherford doesn't bring back matt cullen which i don't think should be a, a possibility in the slightest uh, i think you know a 42 year old player for his contributions uh, uh, Matt Cullen has made to this team. I think it should be time to move on. You know, looking at the left wing, McCann, Gensel, like you said, and, and then you get to a guy like Dominic Simone, Aston Rees, Tanev. Um, like you said, these aren't mega impact players. They're just meh. Maybe maybe a little bit better than meh. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit, but the, they don't instill a lot of confidence in me. I don't think this team is too top heavy, but with that said, I, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's enough, enough depth spread throughout the four lines that makes me have confidence on a nightly basis when they go out. And especially looking at the forward depth, they do have, I mean, they do have a, a, a good stockpiling of forwards. Like you said, Gensel, Hornquist, Gauchenyuk, McCann, Crosby, Malkin, how often are they going to have to cover the mistakes of the defense? How often are they going to have to cover for for the mistakes of Jack Johnson, Eric Goodbranson, Justin Schultz? And that's we're not even counting the injuries that could possibly come into play. So as we stand here in early July, it's moves have yet to be made. Jim Rutherford will probably go out and shed some more salary as we've alluded to but it's questionable to say the least and with that I want to flip over to the rest of the Metropolitan Division 
I, I know this isn't the case, but Jim, it seems like the rest of the Metropolitan Division got incredibly better while the Penguins stood pat and acquired Brandon Tanev. I mean, Artemi Panarin goes to the Rangers. The Rangers also get Capo Caco. Uh, the Blue Jackets look like one of the only teams that may have suffered in this division, losing on Duchesne and uh, Bobrovsky and Panarin. Uh, Gustav Nyquist goes to the Blue Jackets as well. Carol- the Carolina Hurricanes look to be offer sheeting Sebastian Aho Aho from the Montreal Canadiens. The New Jersey Devils, we haven't even mentioned, got uh, P.K. Subban. So th- every team in the Penguins division has beefed up and is looking towards the future. I don't want to say the Penguins are clinging to the past and clinging to strategies that have worked in the past while they see all of their counterparts improving. But the the moves that the division rivals have made as well don't instill a lot of confidence in me for the Penguins' future as well. I'm not so sure about your feelings towards the rest of the Metro, Gym, but for me, uh, I'm I'm hesitant to say the least. It's weird, and it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like the Penguins might have overpaid by a million, a million and a half, two million on Tanov, and then you got the Rangers, who you know maybe they overpaid by a million or two, but they overpaid on Panarin. The Flyers probably overpaid a bit for Kevin Hayes, but Kevin Hayes is a really good center that can slide in on the second line. He's going to do good things. So I think it's about, like, you know, to your point, who you're bringing in, what position you're putting them in. Uh, the Rangers getting Jacob Truba will be huge for them as well on the back end. And and that's a team that I think you really have to wonder, are they going to take the next step and, and compete for a playoff spot next year? Because you look at the Rangers up and down, they added a young player, Adam Fox, They've added, they have a couple of young players on their own, uh, a former draft pick, Kratzoff, that's coming over in Kako, like you said. So, I mean, they're going to put a lot together in a, sh- a very short order, and they're they're looking to move way up, way fast. New Jersey also added Wayne Simmons. I don't think you mentioned that. And Jack Hughes. So are they're going to be a lot better. I don't know if they'll be competing for the playoffs, but they're not going to be pushovers like they probably were last year. So, yeah, yeah, every team in the Metro is is going places aside from poor Columbus who took their shot last year and it all fell apart. But other than them, I mean, ev- everyone looks solid. Everyone's doing good things. The Capitals added Richard panic. They cut some salary. They kept Carl Hagelin. So they're a well-rounded team. Like they had been the past couple of years and they've won the division four years in a row. So you can't discount that either, that they're still the team to beat in the regular season. And yeah, the Penguins' 13-year playoff run is certainly not is not just an automatic like probably it was five, six years ago. They're really going to have to compete. They're really going to have to play hard. And that's something that's interesting, Garrett, because I, I'm sure, as you know, too, October, November, December, it's not always pretty for the Pens. They don't, they don't play well. They go through long stretches where they don't do that well or don't look interested or some games don't even show up and lose 8-1 to one or 10 to nothing or whatever. And... I don't think they can do that this year, do you? I mean, this team cannot afford to get off to a slow start and fall behind, especially with the way last year ended, getting swept, having all this public turmoil. You know, I, then you have to wonder, really, like what in our last podcast when we were talking with Josh Yowie, what's going to happen to Mike Sullivan? What's going? What does the future hold? I think a lot could go off the rails, and I don't know if you agree, but depending on how this next season starts, the first 10, 15 games are going to mean a lot more than they do in the normal year as far as Pittsburgh is concerned. 
That's a great point. And like you said, when we were uh, talking with Yobi in our last podcast, the first five to 10 to 15 games, specifically for Mike Sullivan's future, is going to be very, very, very interesting. Uh, I, I know Jim Rutherford came out in the media and he said working on a Mike Sullivan extension is probably going to be next on the list of things he wants to accomplish. But the Penguins also brought in Mike Volucci to take over the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins. And you look at that move on paper and you think, oh, you know, well, they're just, you know, they're just improving down on the farm. Um, I don't know if that's the case, uh, like you said. And I completely agree with you. I think looking over the last couple of years, how the Penguins have started out, and you mentioned the, the 10 nothing games, the 7-1 to games, you know, maybe it was just a result of the Penguins not taking these teams incredibly seriously, you know, in 16 and 17, they were coming off of Stanley Cup hangovers. Maybe they thought that, you know, we're the reigning defending Stanley Cup champions. And, you you know, to a point, you look at the game, like you look at a game, for example, uh, Buffalo, go, to, go up to Buffalo on a Friday night in November. It's hard to motivate yourself to stay excited and amped up and in that athlete mode for a game on a Friday night in November in Buffalo, New York. But the the Penguins are re- are now two to three years removed from the Stanley Cups that they won. They are, I don't think the rest of the league views them as this incredibly dominant force that everyone was scared of when they won the championships. They have to be on their A game out of the gate. At least I think so, because the future the future of next season, the 2019-20 season, and the future of Mike Sullivan hangs in the balance, I think. And it depends heavily on this start, like you said. It's going to be incredibly interesting if they get off to a 5-10, and 5-15, and 10-15 and 15 start, what have you. If by November and or December and they are still struggling, we know the kind of general manager Jim Rutherford is to this point. He's not going to be afraid to pull the trigger. I, at least I don't think so. Um bringing up the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton coach, the AHL coach, to to provide a spark. It's worked before. It has worked before on two occasions with championships coming at the end of each of those seasons that a new head coach was brought up midseason. Will, will lightning strike a third time? Obviously, you know, we don't know. But the intrigue that everyone, including myself, thought that was not going to be at the start of the season just because looking at how the roster is currently constructed, you know, the Penguins didn't go out. They they didn't sign some massive free agent. There's no intrigue there for bringing a fresh face. Eh, you could say Galchenyuk is the fresh, fresh face in the Kessel trade, but there is even more intrigue now at the start of this season for the Penguins than there was beforehand. I completely agree with you. Totally. And this, that was great to bring up the Mike Bellucci hire. And, and I agree a hundred percent. You look back at Jim Rutherford's career, his managerial career, he started in Detroit with the Carmanos family for a team called CompuWare Ambassadors. And that's where Mike Bellucci broke in as head coach and they won championships there. Then Jim Rutherford moved on to the Plymouth Whalers of the Ontario league. And what do you know? That's, uh, that's where Mike Volucci went, and they went in the NHL championship under Volucci there. And then Volucci kept following the Carmanos to the AHL. He spent the last two years there, 
and he just won the AHL Calder Cup a couple weeks ago as head coach of the Charlotte Checkers. So this is a guy who's driven results everywhere he's been, which which is really an impressive resume right now. And and you talk to Sullivan's contract, we'll see how that goes. I expect they would sign him because I can't imagine they let him go into a season as a lame duck coach. That's that's usually not how the coaching profession works. They always have a couple years tacked on. But it's it's nothing to the Penguins. They paid Ray Shero to sit out. They paid Dan Bilesma to sit out. You know they'll they'll pay coaches and managers to fire them. Like they they don't mind finishing off those contracts. And like you said, if any team knows that that a fresh voice behind the bench comes up midseason and and helps the team, it's the Pens. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely keeping an eye on that. I I would have already thought it was an interesting situation for Sullivan. But just based on the ties that this Bellucci guy has to Jim Rutherford going back 20-plus years, that's definitely – I'm not going to call it a red flag, but that made me perk up a little and say, uh-oh, this this just got really interesting. So, I mean, hopefully the pens start off good and it's there's no drama or worries. But if there is, I, I think the rumors are going to be going hot and heavy by Thanksgiving or so about – Sullivan's job security and, and what the future could hold. So that's that's really not what I expected how this would go, but here we are. It is going to be incredibly interesting, incredibly fun. No matter how the Penguins start the season between now and probably, well, between now and training camp and between training camp and the regular season, it's going to be a fun ride. We will have you, we will have coverage at Pensburg every step of the way. We also have a tremendous interview lined up in the in a couple of moments with NHL Network's EJ Raddick. But, Jim, before we get to the interview, do you have anything else left to add? Nope, I'm ready for EJ. All right, here is NHL Network's EJ Raddick. We hope you enjoy. Our guest for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast is NHL Network's EJ Raddick. You can watch EJ on NHL Now on NHL Network weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern throughout the offseason. Visit NHLNetwork.com for your local channel listings. You can also follow EJ on Twitter at EJRaddick underscore NHL. And uh, EJ, it's been a pretty wild couple of days throughout the NHL. And uh, the Penguins are one of those teams who have made a couple of splash moves. So let's get right into it. And I think the biggest ticket, the biggest talking item right now is that of the Phil Kessel trade to the Arizona Coyotes. And it, it feels so long ago, even though it was only a couple of days ago <laughs> since so much has happened in the NHL. So looking at this trade, sending Phil Kessel to Arizona, how do you think the Penguins did in getting a return for Phil Kessel? It, it, it couldn't have been an easy thing seeing how Kessel had the 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 no trade clause, and you know he was you know he was using that leverage in, in his favor. Finally, he gets his trade out of the organization. So, looking at this return, Alex Galchenyuk and Pierre Oliver Joseph, did, did the Penguins succeed? Do you think this is a fair return for a, a player of Phil Kessel's caliber? Well, uh, you know, I think it was pretty obvious that that Jim Rutherford was looking to move Phil Kessel. So, uh, you know, I think it's been fairly well documented that, uh, you know, Phil and uh, Mike Sullivan hadn't been seen eye to eye. And, uh, you know, it was time for some changes. And, you know, Phil Kessel was a guy that you could move and get something back for. So he became the obvious person to move. It, it looked like there was a deal with Minnesota. 
know, the, perhaps with Jason Zucker coming back to Pittsburgh, but in the end, Kessel used that, um, you know, that no move, no trade uh, protection that he had as, as he is, you know, entitled to do through his contract. And uh, we know that he, he was uh, desirable of, or desiring to go to Arizona to be reunited with uh, Rick Tockett, who was assistant coach with those Penguins teams that won a couple of Stanley Cups. Phil has a really good relationship with Rick. And uh, so they end up making that deal. I think in the end, uh, you know, I think both teams accomplished what they wanted to. Uh, the Penguins were able to move Kessel out and get a really, uh, I think, a good player in return in Alex Galchenyuk who could come in and, you know, I think he could be someone that perhaps plays with Evgeny Malkin. We'll see over time how that plays out. Uh, he's the guy that's, he can play all three forward positions. Uh, he has been, he's someone that I, I still think can be a center, but I think in Pittsburgh, he'd be better off playing the wing there. He's got one year left at 4.9. You get some cap savings from what Kessel was being paid. I think they save about 1.9 million, somewhere in there. Uh, on that, they get a very good young prospect uh, in Joseph. Uh, from what I understand, uh, talking to scouts that I trust, that's uh, you know, just a terrific character guy and uh, high-end potential. So they get that player in return and, uh, you know, they move forward. And uh, it's just interesting to me with Jim Rutherford has made so many moves and he's just trying to figure out and find that chemistry. And I think the, the main reason is that he's got his two top players uh, in Crosby and Malkin who are in that age window in the early thirties. I just think that he knows that window is, is not as big as it once was. And he's trying to find ways to maximize, uh, you know, this franchise right now, while those two guys are still in the prime of their careers. And let's yeah, let's turn our attention to Alex Kouchenyuk. And I think to your point, you know, I think this is a player who, when you look at it on paper, he's still only 25 years old, former number three overall pick. And, you know, at one point in his career, he was used to the pressure of playing in Montreal. Um, I, I don't think he has the, the, the scoring touch that Phil Kessel has. But with that said, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think he is still a very competent player that looks to slide in uh, alongside Evgeny Malkin there on the second line. Um, when looking at Galchenyuk and, and the kind of player he is, should Penguins fans, how, how excited should Penguins fans be for this new player who really has to fill the shoes left by the void of Phil Kessel, who was an incredibly popular and beloved player here in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be easy from that regard because, I mean, first of all, Kessel was part of two Stanley Cup winners, back-to-back -back Stanley Cup champions. He was part of some really important line combinations in his time in, in Pittsburgh. And he's a really talented guy. I mean, uh, you know, he's he's kind of, uh, you know, doesn't say too much when we get him in the media. Um, but by all accounts, his, the teammate, his teammates usually pretty much like him. And he kind of just goes around and does his thing. He's kind of a complimentary piece. That's why I think he was so good in Pittsburgh because he didn't have to be kind of the lead offensive player there with Malkin and Crosby there. So um, for Galchenyuk, uh, left shot, a little bit longer, different style of game. Uh, like I said, I think, uh, you know, he, to me, he still is a center. A lot of people don't see him as a center. They see him more as a winger. Um, but the reality is he's a versatile guy that can play those different positions. And I've always – I'm of the belief with a player like that, he comes into this situation, he's got to be really excited because he looks and sees Crosby and Malkin down the middle as the one-two centers in Pittsburgh, and he's not going to be wondering if he should be playing center because clearly those are the centers, and those would be the centers in any circumstance <laughs> that he would be in. So now he could adjust to life 
and embrace the idea of playing on the wing and, and really focus on that and maybe try to find the chemistry with Evgeny Malkin. So if he could do that, Alex Galchenyuk has a great chance to be successful. He's got one year left on his contract, so there's a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons for Alex to play well because certainly, uh, if nothing else, if he's just looking out for his own interests, um, you know, he could hit the market next year. If he has a great year in Pittsburgh, he would certainly uh, he would drive his value up. So uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for him to play well, but it's certainly not a given just because, uh, you know, Phil Kessel was a, was a unique player, and I think Alex Galchenyuk is a little bit of a different style player. We'll see if he finds the right fit with the Penguins. So we'll fast forward to July 1st, free agency frenzy all across the National Hockey League, and the Penguins go out and they sign Brandon Tanev to a six-year deal, $3.5 million per year. Um, looking at this contract, some people were surprised at the length and uh, the, 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 the average annual salary he was going to make per year. What number surprised you more? Was it the $3.5 million that he'll be making in Pittsburgh? Or was it the fact that Jim Rutherford needed to go out and sign Tanev to uh, a really long, really long six-year contract? The six years was what surprised me the most. But it just, I think it, it tells you that, uh, or gives you the idea that there was a number of teams that were, that were trying to get Tanev and that the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, identified him as a player they really wanted as a back-end forward. And, um, you know, they wanted to get him at, uh, you know, at, at uh, you know, they really weren't, they really wanted him. I mean, I wouldn't say at all costs because obviously there's always a, and they, there's, there's a cost you're not going to pay, but six years at three and a half million dollars, I think, you know, for a guy who with the Winnipeg Jets last year had 14 goals and 29 points. I mean, that's a high, energy offensive team where there's uh you know opportunity to put up numbers i don't know if he's going to have those same numbers with the penguins but i i do think i like the player i think he's a good player i just think that six years and uh you know even 3.5 although that's kind of the going rate for those players is uh you know i guess the thing it's a combination maybe of the two things but uh but i like him as a player he should be a good fit there they could use that type of player um you know, it's funny. I've I've been kind of pushing for a while. I thought like a guy like uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot would have been a good fit for the Penguins as a right shot centerman that uh, has a little bit of uh, you know juice to his game and is shown when he's had opportunities in the postseason to play well. I thought he would have been a guy that would be a good fit for the Penguins at some point. Obviously, he's someone you have to trade for, so uh, that's a little bit of a different story. But I, I see kind of as kind of similar in that way that uh, is a good skater. He's got a little jab to his game, right shot, and can be versatile. So, you know, I like the player again, but I, I, I'm not crazy about the term. And expanding the view a little bit, looking at the, the Metropolitan Division as a whole, um, really, the, the Penguins didn't have to go out and, and break the bank and, and make some incredibly, incredibly huge signing. But when you look at the Metro Division, I think it's really improved looking at the likes of P.K. Subban going to the Devils and Artemi Panarin now heading to the New York Rangers. For so long, the story was this was Pittsburgh's division and this was Washington's division, and now I'm not so sure. So what are your <laughs> thoughts What are your thoughts when you, when you look at the Penguins now and you look at all of their divisional rivals making these really huge transactions? Where do the Penguins stand now in the pecking order uh, in the Metropolitan Division? Well, I think the Penguins are still, uh, you know, uh, 
a top-tier team in the division. You're right, the division is changing, but that's, you know, that's the course of time. And, uh, you know, players do get older and, you know, teams go to rebuild and they start that process. I mean, the Rangers, you know, have made some changes to their group. And, you know, they had some good fortune with the lottery and able to get a player, you know, like uh, Capo Caco to come in and uh, they get Panarin and they have uh, some other young players that they've drafted and they're seen to be moving along in the pecking order of their franchise. Um, you know, that's just the nature of things. But I think, you know, I think the Capitals and the Penguins are still right in the mix. I'll be curious to see what the, where the Blue Jackets stand. I mean, they took some big hits in free agency, but I, they still have some good players there. And I think that they'll still have, they have a few moves they're going to make to add to their group. Uh, you know, the Islanders were, as you know, need to, don't need to tell you guys in Pittsburgh. I mean, that was a team that was uh, hard to deal with last year. They made some changes to their team particular in goal with the addition of Varlamov and the departure of Leonard. So, you know, we'll see how that impacts them. Uh, you know, Carolina became a big story last year. Uh, they've got a circumstance to deal with, with uh, the offer sheet to Sebastian Ajo. I do think that they'll match it, but, you know, there's no guarantee until they actually do that. But, uh, you know, that's a team that's, I think, on the rise. They've made some changes uh, to their group as well in terms of, uh, you know, the, the kind of the pecking order of their goaltending. With uh, with uh, Curtis McElhaney leaving, the Flyers made a bunch of moves. I mean, the Devils added Jack Hughes. They went out and traded for Subban. So it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting division. But I I would say going into the season, you know, when you think about Crosby and Malkin at the top of your lineup, I mean, I don't think you know Cros- Malkin did not have the year as you guys know that he wanted to, but I think that there's room for him to bounce back and to be better next year and. Uh, you know, just it'll be uh, you know it'll be interesting to watch how the Penguins get out of the, the gate and what the chemistry is like, and then how you know I think how they start will be important also for Mike Sullivan, who is uh, you know the, the the general manager now has made some player changes, and if things don't go well in the first two months, uh, you know that will be something to keep an eye on. Although I think Mike is a terrific coach, that's the nature of this business. All right, one last question for you, EJ. Looking at the entirety of the NHL now that we're 24 hours removed from the first day of free agency, in your opinion, which team is the biggest winner and which team is the biggest loser? Okay, uh, well, (laughs) excuse me, I think that, well, from a winning standpoint, when you get the biggest fish, usually you're a winner. So I got to say the Rangers would be a winner because they were able to, to land Panarin, who was you know, I think in the end, I think that's where Panarin wanted to go, and he was able to get the uh, the kind of the contract he was hoping for. So the Rangers, I think, are a winner. I think the Florida Panthers were a winner as well for getting for filling a big need in goal with Sergei Bobrovsky. And I like some of their other moves. I like Brett Connolly at that uh, at that price tag. For, you know, I think he's a real versatile player and a guy who's been a part of winning. I like the addition of Nola Chari as a, as kind of a depth player and a back end player. He was such a good fourth liner for the Bruins and their run to the cup final. I wasn't as crazy about the, the addition of, uh, of Anton Strollman. I mean, I just think Anton is, was, was a really good player, but I think he has been kind of beat up physically over the last couple of years. And he's a little bit longer in the tooth and to give him three years at 5.5 million. I was just really surprised that they would do that, but uh, you know what? We'll see how that plays out over time, but I was not a fan of that contract. But I would say the Florida Panthers were also in that category. I was, as for teams that just, you know, didn't go well, obviously 
you have to look at Columbus uh, just because they lost a lot of high-end guys just left. I mean, with Bobrovsky leaving, with Panarin leaving, with Duchesne leaving, Dezingle looks like he's out the door. So, you know, those are some big hits. But that said, the Jackets still have, you know, uh, a pretty strong group of defensemen led by Jones and Warinsky. They still have a number of good forwards. Pierre-Luc Dubois is just getting better and better. I love Josh Anderson and, uh, you know, Cam Atkinson's a goal scorer. So they have a, they have a number of good players still in, in in Columbus, and you know, I'm sure that uh, Yarmo Kekalainen will go out and try to, you know, make some additions. They already added Gustav Nyquist, uh, you know. So I, I think you have to say though, when you lose that many good players in free agency, it's not uh, it's not a day that you're happy if, if you're a Columbus Blue Jacket fan. But like I said, I still think they've got reason to uh, to be to be hopeful for next year with a couple of more additions. The times, they are a-changing, EJ, as is the case with every oh, free yeah. agent frenzy. <laughs> EJ, I want to thank you for taking some of your time out of your day to come on and, and chat a little bit of free agency, some Penguins hockey with us. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll talk to you sometime soon. All right, you got it. Anytime. That was EJ Raddick. Again, as a reminder, you can watch NHL Network's EJ Raddick on NHL Now weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern throughout the NHL offseason. Visit NHLNetwork.com for your local channel listings. And, uh, Jim, the, it was it was an incredibly – it was an enlightening dis- discussion with EJ's insight. But just overall, looking at the picture of the Penguins right now as we move into July and August – into training camp in the preseason and what have you at the very least it's interesting <laughs> i mean as a writer i i guess and as a podcaster i guess that's all you can ask for is it to be interesting and i guess the penguins are keeping it interesting whether they whether they want you whether they they make you rip your hair out or they delight you with joy but one thing's for certain jim i i think I think the rest, the remainder of the off season, and like we said before the interview, the the remainder or the start of the 2019-2020 season is going to be filled with a lot of intrigue. And uh, e- even though I don't have as much confidence as maybe some other fans do, or maybe yourself, uh, that doesn't mean I'm not excited. I'm incredibly excited for this upcoming season, as I am for every season. But uh, Jim, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode of the Pensburg Podcast? Nope, as we often say, but it is so true. It's it's never boring with the Pens, and that's certainly the case again this year. And yeah, it's going to be a long summer, but I think you know we're getting. It's going to be around the corner before you know it. That's time to start up, and yeah, I I think we'll all be happy when that that time happens. If there is any other breaking Penguins news throughout the rest of the off season, be sure to head over to pensburg.com. And uh, keep an eye out for new episodes of the Pensburg podcast throughout the offseason. We will have you covered in every direction possible. Uh, but for Hooks or Pick, Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Behana. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pensburg podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.